welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Pastor David Robinson is our teacher and today looks at a couple of important verses from the book of Acts chapter 1. I learned some pretty cool things today and I hope you will too. We're in Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 and here's Pastor David. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11, and I'm going to read them for you. Starting in verse 9, this is chapter 1, verse 9 of Acts. Now when he, this is Jesus, when he had spoken these things while they washed, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, we're going to look at these verses and we're going to kind of get into them. And then we're going to see maybe one way that God might have us apply this to our lives. So let's, let's kind of get going with it. Verse 9 says, Now when he had spoken these things. So what things had he spoken? Remember in the story what we have is we have Jesus dies on the cross. Three days later, he rises again. Then he spends 40 days hanging out with the disciples, and he tells them all kinds of stuff. Some of that stuff we have recorded in the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In those four books, towards the end of each book, you have these sections that talk about what Jesus was telling them after he had risen from the dead, after he was alive again, he told them this stuff. Um, primarily of importance, and, and we've gone over this over the last several weeks also, primarily he told them that he's been given all the authority in heaven and on earth, and that he was sending them out to make disciples, to teach people to obey all the things that he had taught, all his commandments, and that they would be given power, as we just read, from the Holy Spirit to accomplish this. That's, that's the main stuff that he had told them. So when it says, Now, when he had spoken these things, these things are the things I just said. Those are the things he had spoken. It says, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, Luke is again making two things clear. He has made these things clear earlier. The first sermon that we did in Acts, these first three verses, he made this clear. He's making it clear again. Let me tell you what the two things are. First, he's making mention of the fact that they watched. They watched. They were witnesses. They were eyewitnesses of this event. We saw this earlier when he talks about the many infallible proofs of Christ's resurrection from the dead. That he rose from the dead, that these people witnessed it, that lots of people saw it, that there were many proofs, there were infallible proofs. Luke is making a point here. He's saying this is real. This really happened. What I'm talking about here, what I'm about to say, says while they watched, what comes after that is a real thing. I'm telling you that it's real. It's history. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. This is history. Okay? They watched and they witnessed. Now, why is it important that Luke uses these words about them watching? Here's here's why I think it's important. Um, As you see from the verse, it says, While they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't usually happen. Right? Have you ever been talking to somebody and they just like, whoop, up into a cloud? Maybe you have. I have never seen that, okay? And so 
The reason that Luke is making it very clear that they watched, that they were witnesses, is because if there weren't witnesses who watched and were willing to stand by it, nobody would believe that Jesus had ascended into heaven. There are people who tell us that they've seen things. Either you may know them personally, or you may have seen them on television, and they say, hey, um, you know, this thing happened, and and everybody goes kind of like, yeah, right. I I don't believe that. I don't buy that. I'm a skeptic. I don't think that's true. Usually it's the one guy or girl, somebody who seems like they might spend a little too much time alone, uh, and they're telling us this thing that happened. Uh, And see, we don't usually believe a person when it's just one and they've seen something that we know doesn't normally happen. So if I came to you and said, hey, I was talking to my buddy, and while we were talking, after he had said some things, up he rose into heaven and was taken by a cloud. You're probably going to look at me and think, I've got maybe some issues I need to deal with. Um... Maybe there's something wrong with my brain, or, or something's going on, or I'm just lying. You're not going to believe me. But if I have 10 friends who all saw the same thing, you start to say, hey, maybe that's legit. So he's making a point here, because the one guy thing doesn't work. See, this is the thing. Aliens never abduct like 10 people at once in the middle of the day, right, and everyone's awake, and everyone can see what's happening. It's always the one dude at night when he's asleep, right? gets abducted, goes up to the ship, comes back right where he was. Nobody knows anything about it. Nobody saw it. It's just his word for it. Y'all are quiet. I'm wondering if some of you may have had this experience. I'm not trying to offend anybody. If you've been abducted by aliens, um, man, that's rough. We'll talk about that later. But, um, but normally, I'm not going to believe you because you're just one person and you're saying something that seems unreasonable. Luke is saying, yep, this seems unreasonable. That's why I'm telling you that they watched as it happened. So that's the first thing he's telling us. Acts is about facts. This is a true thing. This really happened. Now, the second thing he's telling us, and this is very important, he's making mention that Jesus rose up in the air in his body, bodily, physically. Now, why is this important? Remember, Luke Luke makes a big deal about this in, uh, in the beginning of the chapter with the resurrection that Jesus rose bodily, physically, from the dead. He makes a big deal of it in the book of Luke when he's talking about Jesus' life. He even mentions that after Jesus rose from the dead, he's with his disciples and he's eating fish, right? Because spirits don't eat fish. So it's a big deal to, to Luke to say, Jesus is not a ghost after he rises from the dead. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's physical. Now, these days, we have sort of this philosophy that's going around. And this philosophy, I'm just going to call it spiritualism, spiritiness. People have this, have this mindset that when you die, you become a spirit, and you go to heaven as a spirit to be with God who's a spirit. And depending on your particular version of this, sometimes you go to be with God, sometimes you go to become part of God or to be lost in the godness, that type of thing. But this has even kind of moved into Christianity some, where some people are thinking, no, I'm spiritual. We're spiritual. We over-spiritualize, but we're physical, okay? That spiritual thing is not Christianity. We are spiritual, but we are also physical. We're physical. And so there's a point being made by Luke that Jesus is physically ascending to heaven. He's physically doing it, okay? He's making that point because at the time, there was a philosophy that went around. It was called Gnosticism, Gnosticism. Gnosticism said several things, but one of the things it said was that the body or the physical was bad, 
and the spiritual was good. Now, the natural outworking of that was that people started to say, I can do anything I want with my physical body. Anything that I want to do, I can do with my physical body, no matter how evil it is or whatever, because my physical body is evil anyway. So you can just imagine the types of things that people were willing to do with their physical bodies because they believed that they were evil, or at least they said that they were evil so they could get away with doing whatever they wanted to do. But the spirit was good. So against this, against Gnosticism, Luke is making clear that Jesus' body was part of his glorified nature after he rose from the dead, and that his body was going to heaven. cannot be bad if it's going to heaven. See, here's the deal. God thinks that stuff is good. He created the universe. He created the earth. And when he was done doing it, he said, it is it's good. God likes stuff. He made it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not evil. Now, it's broken. It's broken. We've broken it. We can see that. You, you've heard about what happened in Paris this, this weekend, perhaps. Um, you know, terrorists killing many, 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 many people. We have a broken world. We see broken world stuff happen all the time. Whether it's people hurt, harming one another, whether it's uh, you know, weather patterns, or whether it's you know, traumatic events or earthquakes or whatever, we can see that we live in a broken creation, but it wasn't made that way. It was made perfect, and it will be restored physically. Okay, We're a, we're, we're a physical and spiritual people. It's more complicated than just saying we're spiritual. And it's more complicated than just saying we're physical. See, Christianity is not easy. God is complicated. He's God. If it was that easy, we could all do it. I've tried it. It doesn't work. I'm not, I'm not good at being God. So, so it's complicated. So we're spiritual, we're physical. So two things that he, was, that he was saying in this. Acts is about facts. We have witnesses of what happened. And the second thing is, Jesus was not just a ghost. He was, he was not just spiritual. He was physical also. Now, he says he... They received him out of his sight. A cloud received him, Jesus, out of their sight. What's, what's the deal with the cloud? All we know for sure about this cloud is that um, we hear things in, elsewhere in Scripture about Jesus and the clouds of heaven. So we know that there's something going on there. Uh, it does not say that he went in the cloud and he stayed there, like he's still in that cloud somewhere. And it does not say um, that he went in the cloud and then he you know, shot up into space. The, the assumption here is that he went in the cloud and he went directly to heaven. And it was important that we show him going to the cloud because as we'll hear later in this, in this group of verses we're reading, he's going to come back down the same way. So he goes up the way he's going to come back. And that's an important thing. Now let's look at verse 10. It says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up. Okay, So Luke is making again. He's doubling down. Once again he's saying, They were looking steadfastly as he went up. In other words, it wasn't just happening over here and they were looking over here. They, was, they were focused on Jesus ascending up. He's again making it clear. This was something that was witnessed and it, there, no mistake was made about it. That's what he's saying. There's no mistaking what they saw. Jesus was going up. And then it says, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, white clothing. These were, based on their white garments, these were probably angels. We see this in other places in Scripture where we see angels um, in white 
And so we assume from this passage, that's who we're talking about here, that these are, that's the general belief that these two guys were angels. And they said this, it says, who also said, men of Galilee, this is verse 11 now, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? And I can just imagine the disciples and the apostles, and they're sitting there, and these guys say, they're looking, Jesus is rising up to this cloud, and these guys are behind him. They're like, hey, why are you looking up into heaven? And they're like, duh. Did you see the dude just like fly up there? I mean, I don't see that every day. That's why I'm looking up there. I want to see what happens next. I'm sitting here talking to this guy, and, and then Jesus just, there he goes. That's what I'm looking at, right? I want to see what happens next. Continuing in verse 11, it says, they say, right, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So these guys are testifying of two things. They're testifying of two things. The first is this. The first is that the disciples did, in fact, see what they just saw. They're saying, this Jesus who you saw go up into heaven, right, who just went up into heaven. So they know, okay, yes, it's true. My eyes didn't trick me. There wasn't a mass hallucination here. These guys are confirming that Jesus just went up, was taken up into heaven. The second thing that they tell them is that Jesus is coming back again the same way. Now remember, these disciples about 40 days ago, they were very scared people. Jesus had died on a cross, and all their hopes and dreams about what it meant to be in the kingdom of God were gone. And then three days later, he rose again, and they're super excited about that. And he goes around with them for 40 days. And if you remember from, from last week, if you were here last week, they actually just a little while before had said, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel to us? So they've got this idea that Jesus has come back, that he's, that he's risen from the dead, and now he's going to be with them. And things are going to happen. But now he's gone again. He's gone up again. He's promised them that the Holy Spirit's coming, and he's, and he's told them what they ought to do, but they're alone again. So these two angels, when they come and they say, hey, he's coming back again. He's going to come back again, giving the disciples something to look forward to, something to aim their perspective at, because they're probably a little bummed out that Jesus was with them and now he's gone. So there's this whole thing surrounding the return of Christ, the coming back of Christ. And it's very complicated, and there's a lot of theories, and there's a lot of stuff, and you may have met a guy at your Bible study group or seen someone on TV who's like super into Revelation, like a little too into Revelation, and that's like their deal. Um, and, and, and maybe it gets a little weird. And here's the thing about that guy. Um, he's just psyched up about Jesus coming back. So we've got to give him a little bit of a break because it's a pretty exciting thing. But, it's, but it is very complicated, and there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time studying it. And we don't have time to get into all of it today. But I do want to delve into a couple of the things that Jesus had said to his disciples during the three years when they walked around with him, that when these angels say he's coming back like he went, would have come into their minds. They would have understood some things. Some things would have come together for them. And so hopefully these things are going to come together for us. Let's look at a couple things here. First, in John 14, 2, Jesus tells his followers that he was going to heaven to prepare a place for them. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. 
or dwellings, or the King James Version uses the word mansions. There are many mansions. Now, here's the thing about the King James Version's use of the word mansions. When it was translated several hundred years ago from Greek into English, the English word mansions had a different meaning back then. It didn't mean the big, huge, nice uh, palace on the hill that we think of when we say, oh, that guy lives in a mansion. Mansions in English at the time that that word was translated from the Greek in the King James Version just meant a dwelling inside a larger estate. So there's a larger estate, a guy had an estate, and another dwelling inside that estate was a mansion. Now I notice as I'm looking out here that some of your faces are kind of dropped because you were wanting that mansion in heaven, right? You've been looking for it, like, oh, dude, mansion's coming. I won't have this leaky faucet and all these problems. i got the heaven mansion coming. Well, you all are very materialistic, okay? I'm kidding. I don't know, maybe you are, I don't know. I wanted the mansion too, I was kind of bummed out when I found that out, so... Um, so he's talking about rooms, okay? He's talking about rooms. He's talking about dwellings. He's talking about a dwelling within a larger estate. Now, let's hold on to that for a second. We're going to go to Matthew 25. And Jesus tells a story about 10 wise and foolish virgins. And these 10 virgins are betrothed. They're going to be married. And they have these lamps. And what it says is that the bridegroom was delayed, and they all fell asleep. They all fell asleep, and at midnight, the announcement came that the bridegroom was coming, and they woke up. And some of them, as they all trimmed the wicks of their lamps to keep them lit, some of these virgins realized they didn't have any more oil in their lamp. These lamps ran on oil. It was kind of a little thing, and there was oil in it, and then there was a wick that came out, and it sort of lit their way, like a flashlight kind of, only probably not as effective. Um, but they didn't have any oil left in their lamp. And so what happened was they asked the brides who did have oil in their lamp if they could have some of their oil. Hook me up. You know, break me off a little oil for my lamp. And the brides who had been wise said, no, get your own oil. I was prepared. I'm ready. I'm waiting for my groom. You go to where they sell oil, go to Walmart, and get you some oil, okay? And the, uh, the virgins who had been wise and who had oil in their lamp, Jesus comes, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The bridegroom comes, and he takes them to the wedding, and they go in, and the door is shut. And the girls who had to take a run to Walmart, they come late, the door's shut, and they're not let in. So they're bummed out on the outside. The wise brides are on the inside. Now... Let's bring this around as to Jesus' return. So the first thing we have to understand, if we want to understand how these two things that I've just mentioned relate to his return, is we have to understand the first century Jewish traditions for a marriage or a wedding. Okay? There's some traditions about how it works. That's how the, These guys were first century Jews. They understood what, how the first century Jewish wedding worked. So they could put all this in context. Now we're all going to understand how it works, so we can put it in context. Okay? So here's the deal. After the bride was chosen, a bride price would have been paid to secure the contract to marry the bride. Okay? And then after that, the groom would go back to his father's house. Then when he got back there, there'd be a room or a dwelling, a mansion, added on to the father's house. They would prepare it for the couple who was going to get married. And as they did this, 
The father was keeping his eye on the construction, and he was the one who got to decide, and he was the only one who got to decide when that dwelling was ready for the couple. The son didn't know. Nobody else knew. And the father could decide that time anytime he wanted. Generally, it happened at nighttime, often late at night or early into the pre-dawn hours of the morning. This was the tradition. This is how it worked. So at the time that he decided it was time, he'd say, son, it's time. And the son would be like, all right. And he'd go get all his friends, and they get some torches, and they go down to get his bride from her house. Meanwhile, the bride's job during all this time was to always be prepared. She had to always be prepared for when the bridegroom would come. Okay, Because he could come at any time, and she never knew the day or the hour. She didn't know, so she always had to be prepared. And one of the things that would show that she was prepared is in the window of her house, she would have a lamp burning. That lamp would be burning to show that she was prepared to go because I said, I told you, they often come at night to get her. She has no idea what day or what hour, so she's got that lamp burning. Now, here's the thing. If she ran out of oil, if she didn't stay prepared, if she didn't have enough and that lamp went out and the bridegroom came and saw that there was no lamp in the window... It would be considered a rejection. And the marriage was over at that point. Because she, by not having that lamp going, was saying, I'm not ready. I'm not waiting for you. I'm not going with you. That was a choice that she could still make. So, as to Jesus' return, let's, let's put it all together. So he chose his bride. That's you and me. It's the church. He says many times, Right? The bride of Christ is the church of Christ. We're going to go to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. We're going to go to the wedding supper of the Lamb when he comes back and gets us. We're going to go be married, basically. Okay, And he paid the bride price for us. Right? On the cross. He died for us on the cross. He, he paid the price for us. He redeemed us. He made it so that we could be his. And then, as we see here, he went up to go prepare a place for us in his father's house. And the good news is, he's coming back to get us. And we don't know the day or the hour. But we're supposed to be ready and waiting for him. So what are you waiting for? As we've learned today, Jesus wants us to be waiting and ready for his return. Are you? Well, if not, or you're not sure, or you just have some questions about what all this means, come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington this Sunday morning. We would love to help you get ready and have the peace and hope that can only be found in Christ. Get directions and all the info you need at axchurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and be sure and check out the next episode for part two of this study with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.